Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hi, Road to Growth listeners. Today I have Carl Gould. I was going to say gold, and I said gold before I got on there. I just keep on wanting to say it gold because he's hopefully he's going to have a lot of gold nuggets that we can bring onto this. He is a growth advisor, speaker, author of Seven Stage Advisors. Thank you, Carl, for being here. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, so this is a question that I ask coaches, consultants, and I've had a lot of them recently on, on the platform. What separates you and your company compared to other companies out there, other entities? Well, two, two main things. One, um, I've been the coach's coach over the years. Uh, I got started in coaching in 1990, and I, and I wrote a number of coaching and consulting methodologies that are widely in use today. So mastermind groups and uh, mentoring programs and coaching programs, private label coaching programs. I worked with Tony Robbins and T. Harv Eckert and you know, Stephen Covey and, and Ken Blanchard and the Dale Carnegie companies and various companies like that. So I've trained over 7,000 coaches um, in 35 countries over the years. So, you know, so, you know, you might, you might be, if you're working with a coach, you may be working with somebody that I may have trained or, or been part of uh, their growth and development over the years. Second thing is we are halfway between a coaching company and a management consulting firm. And in other words, we'll not only just ask you questions and help you process through to get the answer and hold you accountable to those answers, we can also be a resource because in our firm, all of our advisors are people that have run, bought, sold, owned, advised, you know, um, and, um, and run and manage companies that are equal, if not larger, to the one that you're trying to build. So we've got a lot of experience uh, someone, one of our clients was once called us business coaches with a back, with a business backbone. So when you've talked about that, you've, you've coached coaches, you coach business owners. Is there a difference that you see when you're coaching a coach compared to now that you're coaching business owners? Yeah. Um, well, I, I was one, I was a coach very early on when, um, the industry got started and I, I was, you know, I had a coaching practice in 1990. And, um, and back then we used to say that coaches would have to take a full-time job in order to feed their coaching addiction. In other words, they, they're heart led servants. They're, they'll, they're, they love to please they They just want to be, be there to help you no matter what. And oftentimes they would do it at their own detriment. And so we had to put in place systems and processes to protect the coaches from themselves. They normally will undervalue their, their time. They won't charge enough or they won't charge at all. Um, they, uh, you know, if they've got a 30 minute coaching session uh, scheduled, it goes 45 minutes, 50 minutes. If they have an hour call, it goes an hour and 20 because they'll stay on that call or they'll stay with their client as long as they need to in order to help them um, get their result even if it hurts the commercial side of their enterprise. And so coaches will, you know, you almost have to protect them from themselves when it comes to how much they, how much they're earning versus how much time they're putting in business owners sometimes are like that, but not always like that. 
They're also heart-led servants. They also do that, but they're a little bit more utilitarian than the coaches are. Being a coach's coach or a coach, I mean, you've talked about before you did it, you were, I mean, started other businesses. And I think the first one was a landscaping business, correct? That's right. My very first business was a design build landscape uh, installation firm. And um, I did that, you know, uh, during, during and, and when I left college. And uh, that was my first business. And then a couple of years later, I got into coaching. Did you always have kind of a, a entrepreneur mindset growing up as a young kid? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I broke my leg pretty badly in college and I had to leave school and and I started my my entrepreneurial career. But I think I would have gotten there either way. Um, I, you know, I I would be a great employee for about nine minutes. And then after that, I'd want to change everything. I want to do it this way, do it that way. I'm much better as an entrepreneur and a business owner than I am as an as an employee. Having now, let's say you have an employee that was like a young you. Is there a way to rein them in? Is there a way to make sure they stay on task? Or a person like that is probably not going to work well in a, a company environment. Well, let's unpack that because there's a couple things there that I think I heard. If I had somebody like me now, what I would do is I would give them more freedom, more ability to grow. Because what happened with me is that when I had jobs and I worked with organizations where I was in that I was in that lower role, they oftentimes try to slow me down or when they felt I was, you know, I was making too much or doing too much, they try to curtail what I was doing and they try to corral what I was doing. And I'm like, "No, let me run. I want to I want to go here because I would just I would just as soon help you build your organization and I get to do all the parts of the business that I like and I don't have to deal with any of the parts of the business I don't like. So let me run with that. Um, but no, they got a little nervous about it. And in many cases, you know, business owners do it all the time. They'll cap the, they'll cap the uh, earnings of an employee so that employee doesn't make more than them. Or they'll, they'll uh, redo the commission or compensation structure, you know, because that, that person's getting too much of the pie. You know, that's what I would have done, um, you know. And so would, would somebody like that work out in, in my organization? Absolutely. If I feel that they're trying to build the brand and build, you know, according to the mission that we're trying to accomplish, 100%, I think it could work out. Now, going back to, to you and your transitioning from the landscaping business, when did the idea of actually coaching come about? Well, um, a friend of mine in the in the 80s won the lottery. And um, and they said I was looking forward to doing some personal development. I don't know, you know, I, they won millions of dollars, and I said, uh, I they said, well, you know, they said to me, do you know anyone who does personal development or runs seminars and all that? And I said, actually, I don't, but let me look it up for you. I'll let you do some research. And I said, well, there's this guy Tony Robbins who looks pretty interesting. I said, but um, it's odd. He does he does the seminars in his house. So I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. You, you, you decide if you want to do that. And so she went, she went to his whole seminar series. And one of them was actually at his house, his castle at the time. And, and, and she came back and she's like, yeah, you know, it was at his house and there were only 20 people, but it was, it was really good. And I enjoyed it. So she comes back to me and she says, I put your name in there. They're going to follow up with you to see if you want to go to the seminars. And I did, and I really enjoyed them. And, um, 
And so um, I, I started to get involved in NLP and DISC and other sciences of peak performance. And that's when I said, man, I really enjoy this. I like the idea of helping somebody design their dreams and then go out and get it. And, um, and so I, I really found my passion there. Now that passion, the company was still moving along, right? The design and landscaping company. Oh, we were crushing it. Yeah. We were doing really well. What did you, once you had the idea, were you seeing the passion in the coaching in, in the coaching business? Was there a transition of you moving out of the landscaping business or selling it off or what, what did that look like? So I owned the landscaping business for seven years. And I sold it. Um, now, I had started coaching in 1990. I sold the landscaping business in 1992. And it was more of a side hustle. I, I, it was a passion. I was learning a lot as a person. I was getting certifications. I, you know, back then, it wasn't really a job. You know, it's not something you, you could do it. But the average coach back then made less than $23,000 a year. I mean, you weren't, you weren't making a living necessarily on it. And uh, for the most part, I mean, the coaching industry is way more mature now. There's so many different things that you can do. Totally different animal now. But back then, if you told somebody you were a coach, they would say, oh, wow, that's really good. What sport? You know, and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a per I'm like, I'm a coach for your company. I take your business to the gym. What, what are you talking about? I know one knew what, we're, what I was talking about. So the idea you would start a coaching business at that time was really unheard of. There were not a lot of people doing it, period. And so I sold my, my landscaping company, and then I started a construction company, real estate development, home, residential home building, custom home building. And I owned that business for another uh, 12 years. But I was coaching all through the 90s. I was coaching um, as a side gig. And in 1996, I hired a, a mentor and a coach for my construction company. I love the process. And that's when I really got a flavor for business coaching and mentoring. And I said, wow, I've been an entrepreneur now 11 years. Um, I've been a coach now for six years. I think I can put the two of these together and I can make a real go with this. Because up to that point, I was doing life coaching, results coaching, leadership and executive coaching, that sort of thing. and so. By 2002 rolls around, I started my coaching company the way it is now in the form that it's in, started training coaches, started working with clients. And then in 2004, I sold my construction company. So for two years, I ran two full-time businesses side by side. It was, it was a lot, but I did that. And then I've been in this business ever since. When... You see, you talk about the idea that the coaching business when you first started was more of a, a side hustle, right? How did you balance out knowing that the construction was paying the bills, but the coaching maybe was giving you gratification? How did you balance out the two in your schedule? Well, here's what, here's what I did. I was the certified coach for other coaching systems at the time, mm. right? Situational leadership, Dale Carnegie uh, leadership. Uh, Franklin Covey planning systems, uh, uh, Tony Robbins, you know, uh, human needs psychology, NLP, all that. So I told all the companies, I said, I want all of your European clients. I want all of your Australian clients, New Zealand clients, South African clients. And they said, Oh, why do you want that? Is that a, Oh, and Middle Eastern clients. And I, they said, why do you, why do you want that? Is that you have a flavor for international business or international coaching? 
I said, no, not at all. I said, I live on the East Coast and I just can't take clients from nine to five. So your European, Middle Eastern and African clients, I could coach them from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern time. From five o'clock on at night, I can coach your your uh, New Zealand and uh, Australian clients because they're in, you know, it's the next morning for them. I said, they're just time zone friendly. Then a little after a while, I took West Coast U.S. clients because I could do that five to eight o'clock at night. It's still afternoon for them. And it wasn't until years later I ever took an East Coast client. So I was, you know, nine to five, I had my business. But then, you know, five to nine, I was doing coaching. And yeah, I would, I'd come into my office and um, at three o'clock in the morning. And um, I mean, even had the police pull in one time, say, we heard noise down here. Someone heard noise. They <laughs> we, well, we thought you were being robbed. I'm like, not nah, just me, just me. They're like, really? We've been seeing your car out here a lot. I'm like, yeah, I bet you every mo Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday morning. Yeah, that's when I had my clients, you know. So, so what I did was I filled all the time outside of nine to five with coaching. And it got to the point where I, at the peak of that, I, I had anywhere from 20 to 30 clients that I was coaching, phone-based coaching at the time. Um, so yeah, it was a lot to, it was a lot to manage, but uh, it worked out. Did you have a, a significant other at the time? I did. What was, I mean, that's a lot of time separated from your, your partner. And I mean, it doesn't sound like there was too much monetary gain in that what was the conversations uh between you two then well we went to some of the seminars uh together um at the time and and a lot of it was phone based you know, right so if i had i might have a 30 minute call i still had time for dinner and i still you know was uh was there for um, breakfast and walking the kids to the bus and and i just i just slid it in i'm not a big sleeper as it is anyway so i was already up so I could have either been up annoying, you know, annoying and making noise for them or working with my clients. So so to me, since I started coaching, my life has always been one big appointment book. Everything is an appointment. So anytime I travel to the best that I can, we go as a family. Anytime I'm doing work, we'll do it as a family. Um, the kids would come to the construction site that helped me run the machinery, all that sort of thing. And so, um, you know, I, I always put in all the kids events you know, practices, games. I wouldn't be at every single one of them, of course. Um, but I had, since I had a business, since I had a construction business and a coaching business, I had the flexibility to kind of to kind of uh, slide in, slot in those coaching uh, times as needed. What do you think you were, were gaining from the coaching when you first started or when you were doing it simultaneously? Was it helping your business out? What was it helping your mindset out? I know you talked about NLP and those other things. What were you gaining from it? Well, I, I like a lot of people at the time, you know, most coaches go into coaching to heal thyself first mm -hmm. and then work with others. And I was certainly in there. I mean, when I first started coaching, I was 24 years old. So I was young, a young man learning my way in the, in the world. I didn't, I mean, I had a business and all, and I was a little ahead of my time by being an entrepreneur in my teens and twenties, but I was still learning about life and this whole idea of coaching and how you think and how you're wired for success and how you're wired for failure and how you're wired for mediocrity. This was all fascinating for me. And so I was learning a lot as a person 
And, you know, in the 90s, especially, every time I coached somebody, I was trying something new. I was learning something new. I was seeing that result for the first time in many cases. I was working with, um, you know, I didn't start working with business owners for a few years. So, or certainly on their businesses. And so to me, it was this fascinating hobby where I was, I felt like I was getting my MBA, um, you know, as I was doing it taking certifications, um, you know, and adult education at the same time that I was coaching people, you know, trying it out. So for me, it was this, it was this wonderful time of finding something that I, I felt for the first time in my life, I was really good at, and that I enjoyed. <clears throat> I was good at construction, but I didn't enjoy it. And, um, you know, I'd never had a job where I liked it as much as I did. I just, it took me a while to figure out how do I make this into a business uh, because I wasn't going to do part-time coaching forever. I was either going to make it something or go on, you know, to something else, because like you said, it just didn't pay enough for it, for me to stay involved in it. You know, it just, it was just, it took too much of my time. <clears throat> when did that epiphany come about that you could make it a full-time thing? Or when was that thing that just clicked and allowed you the opportunity? I know you said that you, uh, was that two years we were running two jobs right there, but when did the idea at least come about that, Hey, I got to make this, make this work. Yeah, so I was co I was uh, taking on coaching clients, and the average coaching engagement around around then, actually, still to this day, is three to six months. Life coaching three months, business coaching six months, somewhere in there. <clears throat> and I was terrible, terrible at re-enrollment because they used to say at the end of the coaching cycle, we want you to talk to the client about another cycle of coaching. And I would say, well, the reason they came into coaching in the first place. We, we, it looks like we've made progress and they're good. What do you want me to, what do you want me to coach them on? Like, what, what do you want, what do you want this to be about? And they said, well, you got to work with them to figure that out. So I, they didn't give me any tools. So I went back to the client and I'm like, all right, well, what else do you want to work on? And they would say, well, Carl, I, you know, I had social anxiety disorder and, you know, you help, you really helped me. Uh, I wanted to get a job interview. You really helped me. I don't know what else there is. And I come back and I'm, I would say to them, well, look, they don't know. They don't know what the next cycle looks like. You don't seem to know. And I can't figure it out. So what I did was that's when I started writing down and documenting everything I was doing as a coach. And um, I showed it to somebody and they were, they were like, wow, this is really great. I haven't seen anything like this. And they wanted to buy it. And I was like, you want to buy it? I said, and then, cause I didn't tell them at first I was the author. I just said, Oh, tell, I just said, tell me what you think about this. And they were like, this is great. I love it. They said to me, find me the author. I'd like to buy it. And I'm like, well, I'm the author. And they said, you should sell it. And when they told me I should sell it, I had no clue what it was worth, but I said, no, nah, I'm going to hang on to it. If they want to buy it that bad, it must be worth something. Even if I don't know that it's worth something, I got something. And so what I had developed was I had developed these two wheels, okay, what I call the business wheel and the personal wheel. And I learned through doing various assessments that there is a corresponding part of your life that goes with your wiring. So in the disc world, there's four quadrants, you know, of your behavior. And so I found that there's a correlating part of your business that goes with your behavior style. If you're good, at, if you're good in life at something, your business tends to be good there. If you're blind, have a blind spot in a certain area in your life, your business tends to have a blind spot. 
So I created these two wheels to find out where your personal blind spot was. And then where's your business blind spot, strength and blind spot. And so the wheel, each wheel has nine components to it. What I learned pretty quickly was it takes about a month of coaching on each area. So I would give it to my clients, no matter where I got the client from, I would say, do this wheel, show me where you are now versus where you should be, where you are now, where you should be 18 areas. Well, wouldn't you know, my average engagement went from three months to 18 months, almost overnight. Hmm. And then I was like, okay, I'm on to something. If I can keep a client for 18 months, and I don't have to spend all my time marketing and trying to sell new clients and re-enroll them, I think I can make this a real business. So if I were to keep, so I might have had, I might be coaching 25, 30 people in a year, but I probably had 50 clients or 75 clients in that year. And I said, wait a minute. Well, I can start going out, getting my own clients. I know how to do that. I know how to do that for my construction days, my landscaping days. I know how to prospect. I'll, I, I'll find clients, Right. But if I could start keeping them for a year, year and a half, right now, my current average engagement is four years. So if I can keep a client for a year to 18 months, and I can say from the very beginning, here are the two wheels. We're going to assess where you're at in each of these 18 areas, where you now, where you want to go. We're going to spend a month on each one. And from the beginning, there was a plan that they were going to work for 18 months. You know, they were, that was their expectation. Whereas, mm -hmm. In all the other systems I was working in, it was, you know, six sessions, 12 sessions every two weeks. And there was no real structure. There was no like, here's week one and you go to week two and this is what you talk about. So I built the entire 18-month plan all the way out. I eventually built out a 36-month plan. And that's where the seven stages of business success came from is because I've, I learned over the years assessing all of these peak performers and then coaching them that there are very predictable patterns to growth and success. Very predictable. And you have to go through a certain sequence. You can't skip the order. Once I learned that, I was like, all right, I can make this. A, I know how this can work. And it had a lot of value, too, because my clients were getting their goals. They were staying with me. And then I just slowly started to increase my fees to the point where I said, you know what, I can do this full time. I can make enough to live in New Jersey and have a family and be able to pay the bills. <clears throat> Coaching is not the most lucrative, you know, it's not the most lucrative business or, or, you know, profession in the world, but it can be made into a very meaningful profession. And, you know, I lived a life where I didn't like my job and my work. And I live a life where I love my job and my work. And I'll take that every, any day of the week. And I'll figure out how to make it more profitable. And I'll figure out how to make it, you know, more lucrative. When you were adjusting your price, right? You said you talked about the idea that you're raising your price over time. How did you get an idea or understanding of, of where you can push it, where the thresholds were, um, what were the, the feedback you were getting? I mean, where did that go? Yeah. So this was great. So in 2002, I get um, I get uh, an accreditation with an organization called the Institute for Independent Business. I was in my early 30s and the average age of the associate at the time was in their 50s. So a lot of built in mentors there. 
And I remember going to my dad at the time and I said, Hey dad, I've got this coaching business. I'm not sure what I should charge per hour. And he said, well, Carl, I've been doing it for 30 years. I charge $125 an hour. And I'm like, I've been doing this for 30 minutes. So I'm like, Oh man. So I said, so this in my head, this is how I was thinking. I said, you know what? Well, dad's charged 125. I'll charge a hundred. That even sounds like a lot. So I'm going to discount it 10%. I had no clue who I was discounting to because I didn't talk to anybody yet. But here I am out at $90 an hour. <laughs> so I start meeting with companies and they were trying to negotiate the price. Can you do it a little less? So I know somebody who does it for 75. And I went back to my colleagues at the Institute and I said, are you getting the price objection? I got every client want to negotiate the price. And they said, what are you charging? And I said, I told them the story and they rolled their eyes like, you, you what? And I said, I said, well, I'm charging $90 an hour. And they said, uh, that's your problem. You're not valuing your time. Why should they? They know 90 is too cheap. You're either undervaluing or they don't think you're as good as you are. And so they told one of, one of my colleagues takes me to the side and says, 250 Tomorrow, 250 I'm like, <coughs> I'm like, 250 what? A month? <laughs> They're like, no, an hour. I was like, oh my God. So again, I wussed out. I went 225. And I remember handing the proposal across the table to somebody like, yeah, this is what I charge, you know? And and the person looked at it and was like, all right, looks pretty good. When do we get started? And I, I then learned, I'm like, you know what? When I believed in my value and I wasn't trying to negotiate my value, my prospects didn't either. Now, boy, did I feel like I got a raise two and a half times the fee I'm getting now. Uh, and so I went from like having a handful of clients at $90 an hour to having a dozen clients at double the amount. And I'm like, Oh, I like this a lot better. Um, but they took me aside. And then I said, so then I got a taste of it and I said, all right, well, wonder what 275 would look like. Wonder what 300 would look like. Wonder what 350 would look like. And so within a year, I was charged, I was billing $350 an hour. And then all of my colleagues came to me and said, how the hell are you charging $350 an hour? I said, it gets better. I get charged, I pay three, I get paid $350 an hour for this type of coaching. I get $1,000 an hour for this type of coaching. And they're like, whoa, I want to know about that. And then I, that's when I laid out my system. I said, I got the wheels and I got the assessments and I got the, the, the management system and all this stuff. And they were like, I want to learn that. And that's when I got into certifying other coaches because we have, we have products that we have a process where right outside the box, you can bill 350 to $1,000 an hour, you know, as a brand new coach, all of a sudden now, if your dream is to have that business, you can now do it and be the primary breadwinner in your family. So that's kind of how it worked for me. When did you go back to your father and say, Hey, you might not be charging them enough. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him. I was like, oh my God, he's been in his business longer than I've been alive. And I'm charging three times the amount. Well, um, you know, so he did eventually know what I was doing and he, he, you know, retired thereafter, but you know, he got locked into that, you know, that idea that, Hey, listen, um, I charge for my time. And I started to realize, I said, you know what, I'm, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm driving tremendous value here. Um, and I could clearly see that the clients weren't getting there without me. And I said, that's worth something. 
And I said, why should I be worth any less than an attorney or an accountant or an insurance salesman or a financial planner or any other type of professional service or an accountant, uh, sorry, uh, uh, an architect or an engineer? I said, you know what? I, I, well, what I'm doing is every bit as valuable, if not more. So I looked around and I said, what are they charging? And I saw attorneys charging and accountants charging and consultants charging 350 to 1000 I'm like, I'm doing every bit as much as they are. What? I'm doing what they're I'm doing what they're doing. You so you had the landscaping business, you had the construction business, and you have the coaching business. Did you see a difference in the hiring process from the landscaping to the construction to when you started building the coaching business in how you're hiring? I, I haven't. I, I to me, if you have an inspiring business with a compelling vision and and mission, you know, and what you're doing is cool and how you're doing it's cool and why you're doing it's cool. You're going to get people who want to work with you. If you have a boring business, yeah, you're going to have you're going to have a hard time getting and keeping talent. Plain simple as that. That's that's been my that's been my experience. I've hired thousands of people over the year. We've worked with tens of thousands of companies, and all of our boring clients they have hard time they have a hard time getting and keeping talent. And I don't mean they're boring people, but the the business itself is just not inspiring. So what they're doing. And, and, and look, there's a lot of companies where you're doing what other companies are doing. So what I mean by that is what I mean by that is when I say what you're doing, you know, you might you might be doing uh, you might be doing a, a, a business or a profession that's been around forever. But what you're doing is unique. Maybe you have a product or service offering that's neat, unique in the in the business or how you're doing it you know, how you're fulfilling or your intellectual property is at play there or why you're doing it, like the causes you get into. Like Uber, what they do is been around forever. Taxi dispatch software, Google Maps and ranking software, that's been around. They just combined all three and they're winning on the how. Hmm. They took that and put it in the hands of every user and said, you're now the taxi company and you can, and, and we're going to rate you both so you both behave. It's brilliant. It's simple, but it's brilliant. So they're winning on the how. Some are winning on the why. Apple wins on the what. You know? So, um, uh, you know, the pick which one you want to win on. But as long as you're winning on one of those, you're not going to have a hard time. Apple does not have a hard time finding talent. They don't. If we're, talk if we're talking in five years from now, where are you going to be winning at? Pardon me? Where will I be at? Where will you be at and where will you be winning at your company? So where we'll be at is we'll be winning more on the how and the what because we're about to digitize our whole model and uh, and we work with other companies to show them how to do it. And so we um, and also we now invest in some of our clients so we can take a more active role. So we're getting we're getting uh, we still do the advisory. We love that. And we're branching out into other types of businesses because we've been working side by side with them for so long. And so, so that we're, I'm really excited about that. And that's the, a new direction in our bit, not, not new, but just more of a direction of our business. And, um, and so that, that's really fun. You're and and I don't know if it's a, it's a newer thing. You're the second uh, consultant company that I've heard that's actually talked about the idea of investing in their um, some of their businesses is that a newer thing or is that something that's been around for a while or is it just kind of a new way of the business going or? Well, it's it's been around a while in the mergers and acquisition world and in the investing world. Um, and uh, but now 
uh, business owners are valuing the effort that their consultants and their partners are putting in. So it's very much a partnership. And I think companies like ours and others are getting more creative in, in how they get paid. Right. So what clients love to see is that the consultant or the coach has some skin in the game or that that their their compensation is performance driven. So we have success fee arrangements where if you're not growing, we're not making any money. We have a regular retainer arrangement like a traditional uh, professional service firm. But I think I think firms are getting more and more creative in how willing they are to take on risk with the client and work right alongside them. Fair enough. I mean, if someone's listening right now and they're looking to, to grow their brand, grow their, their business, what's the best way of them uh, reaching your company and reaching yourself? So just go to carlgould.com, C-A-R-L-G-O-U-L-D. That's my website and kind of the gateway of all things that I do. My personal website is carl360.com, C-A-R-L 360, the number 360.com. Check me out there. Uh, let's 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 uh, connect there and and we'll and we'll see how we can help each other out. Well, I appreciate you, Carl, for being here. Thank you. Hopefully, everyone listening got some great nuggets from Carl. Uh, press forward, push forward. If you don't feel like you're in the right spot, it might be that you need to start your own business or you need to get your boss to give you a little wiggle room. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.